We're talking about being questionable Christians and that we want to live questionable lives. Now, this can have a different meaning than we want it to mean, so let me explain what we're talking about there. Questionable lives means that we want to live in such a way that we provoke others to ask questions uh, about our faith, our belief, about ultimately we want them to be provoked to ask questions about our Savior, uh, Jesus Christ. We do this by uh, several ways, and we've been looking at those, those various ways. We looked at doing this by blessing others through words of affirmation, through acts of kindness, and through gifts, maybe gifts of service, but also just actual, tangible, physical gifts. We do this by intentionally eating with others. We talked about how in our society, we're such a rushed and go society, we don't take the time enough to pause and, and sit down and eat together, even though this has profound impact on us in many different ways. We talked about the blessing it can be for our kids just to eat together as a family, how, how their grades are better, their, their physical health is better, uh, they're less likely to get involved in drugs or, or have premarital sex. All these things are decreased by simply sharing regular meals together as a family. We also talked about how it blesses your marriages, how, how if you eat together, you're more likely to converse on a more frequent basis, which is a good thing for marriages, for husbands and wives to be talking with one another. The blessings, though, of eating together go beyond just the physical blessings within our family, but also there are blessings to eating with those outside of our family. We looked at how Jesus used food, used eating with others in an intentional way uh, to communicate his desire for their salvation. When Jesus was eating with the, the sinners and the tax collectors, uh, as they were known, and they asked him, why do you eat with these people? Jesus said, because I came to not for the, for the well, but for the sick. I came to bring salvation. When, when Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house and ate with Zacchaeus, and, and the people were wondering why would he go to Zacchaeus' house after Zacchaeus makes his pledge, Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. Jesus is communicating this idea that, that, that he ate with these individuals, he communed with these individuals in order to communicate his care and love for them, and this, this intimacy of a meal, a meal is really an intimate act that we do with one another, this intimacy of this meal uh, leads to salvation. Today we're going to talk, though, about another aspect of us being modern-day missionaries within our world. In the past, I've talked about listening to other stories, and, and Mark referenced that somewhat in his children's story, that we are to listen to people and learn their stories in order to better understand where they come from. We're, we're to better, when, when they say they don't like something, like pie, we should find out why they made if you don't like pie, rather than just attacking them for not liking pie. I personally may like pie as well. Um, I don't know if you really don't like pie, but, uh, but, but um, we can talk about that later if you'd like to. I like pizza too. We can eat pizza and pie and talk about which one we like more. How's that? That's together. We can eat together. But, but, we're, but I want to talk about another type of listening, not necessarily listening to one another, although that is important. Today I want to talk about a different kind of listening. I want to talk about, about listening to Jesus through the Holy Spirit intentionally within the context of our, our prayer time, within the context of our, of our intentional prayer time. And so will you open up your Bibles with me uh, today to the book of Luke. We'll begin in the Gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke. They're the third book in the, Old Test in the New Testament, Luke chapter 6 and verse 12. Luke chapter 6 and verse 12. 
In these days, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray. And all night, the Bible says, all night he continued in prayer to God. All night he continued in prayer to God. Now turn just one book back to Mark chapter 1. The book of Mark chapter 1 verse 35. Mark chapter 1 and verse 35. Here the Bible tells us, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Verse 36. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. Then finally, let's, or, and then let's go even one book back to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14 and verse 23. Matthew chapter 14 and verse 23. Here we read. And after Jesus had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. And then finally, let's go back to our original book. Luke chapter 5 and verse 16, a famous verse about the prayer life of Jesus. Luke chapter 5 and verse 16. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, and it reads in this way. But he, that is Jesus, would, would draw to desolate places and pray. If you're reading from the New King James or the King James, your Bible will say, he often withdrew, himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. This was a regular practice to withdraw, to, to separate himself to pray. Four texts on the prayer life of Jesus. Four texts that, that all seem to indicate a life that took intentional pauses, that, that, that illustrate a life that took intentional pauses to pray. Not prayers on the run, not a quick prayer in the morning, not a quick prayer at the meal, not a quick prayer going to bed, not a quick prayer while you're driving the kids to school or while you're headed to work, but, but intentional, sustained prayers. Four verses that seem to indicate that Jesus made an effort to have intentional, sustained prayer in his life. But not just intentional, sustained prayer in his life. Intentional, sustained prayer in which, in which something else happened. You see, I want to ask you an important question. In Jesus' all-night prayer sessions, in Jesus' prayer sessions that started in the afternoon and, and carried over into the evening, in Jesus' prayer sessions that started before dawn and then carried forward into the morning when the disciples woke up and everyone else woke up and began to look uh, for Jesus. In these, in these prayer sessions that seem to be hours upon hours long, do we think Jesus only talked or do we think that Jesus likely listened as well? Did he just talk or did he listen as well? Now I want to ask you another important question. In your prayer time this week, and hopefully all of us have intentional daily prayer time. In your prayer time this week, how often did you also intentionally listen? You probably intentionally talked, told Jesus what was going on in your life, but, but how often did we intentionally listen? Knowing that I was going to be doing this sermon, I was, I, I was looking back on, on, on a kind of a five-day span and assessing my prayer life recently. And I was looking at, at five days of, an in, of intentional prayer. 
the moments in which I, I intentionally set time apart to pray, time that I committed to, to praying about things going on, intentional time to praise God for the things that have, the blessings in my life, the blessings of this church, the blessings of, of uh, coming through the surgery, intentional time thanking Jesus for my amazing wife and the wonderful boys that I have and that uh, Christina is soon to have a birthday and what a blessing she is. An intentional time praising God and thanking God and, 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 and putting my petitions before God. Intentional time that I have taken to pray and engage with God. And then I, I looked at that time and I said, okay, now, now how much of that intentional time, in all that intentional time, how much on average did I intentionally stop to also listen to what God wanted to say to me? How much of that time? And I began to, to think about my prayer times and I began to, to say, okay, what would, what would the average be of that time in which I intentionally not only spoke, but intentionally listened to God as well? And I added it all up together and I averaged it out over those five days and I found that my, my consistent average of really intentionally listening to God in those prayer times was a big, fat Zero. Now maybe a pastor is not supposed to admit that, but I've always felt that it's just better to put it out there and go with it from there. And it being a pastor who part of my job description is to, to pray, which I do, and in being a pastor, part of what I do is spending intentional time in prayer as, as, as that's the only way ministry can go forward. But I struggle with making the intentional time to, to listen, then I would suspect that there might be some others in here that are thinking about the times that you've prayed this past week, and you may be thinking, I can relate more to my pastor than I can to Jesus, and that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing. Well, someone may say, well, pastor, the Lord talks to me throughout the day. Good, the Lord talks to me too throughout the day, and that is a good thing. But do we think that Jesus only uh, heard from, from God when he talked to him throughout the day? Or do we think in those all night prayer sessions, in those, in those afternoon to into evening prayer sessions, in those, in, those, in those early morning hour prayer sessions, do we think Jesus, all he did was talk and then get up and say, okay, amen, and now I go on my way? Or, or do we believe that Jesus listened and learned from his father in that time as well? We internally know, right? We know. I mean, even without clarity, we, we know instinctively that Jesus didn't talk that whole time, that he paused to listen, that he, that he heard from his Father. One of the ways we know this, I believe, is because of Jesus' own words, Jesus' very own words. Let's look at something Jesus said in the book of John. John chapter 12. The book of John, John chapter 12. Verses 49 and 50. John chapter 12, verses 49 and 50. Listen to what Jesus says here. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who has sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, this is Jesus speaking, what I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me to say. What I say, what I speak, 
What I do, I do it as the Father has told me to do these things. I don't believe Jesus knew what to say and, and, and knew how to act and knew how to respond in situations only because he had read the scriptures. I believe he knew because in his prayer time each and every day, his intentional extended prayer time, not only did he listen, I mean, not only did he talk, but he also listened. His prayer time, I believe, probably compared to many of ours, was less talk and more listen. Less talk and more listen. So what does any of this have to do with living as missionaries in our modern world? What does any of this have to do with living questionable lives that provoke people to to ask questions about who our God is and ask questions about, about why we live the way we live? What does any of this have to do with how we relate to our neighbors and our, and, our, and our family and our coworkers? What does this have to do with being missionaries? It has everything to do with it. Because if we, if we bless others, we may go out and we may seek to bless others, and we may bring blessings to others that weren't even really blessings that they needed in the first place. But hey, it's a good deed that we did. We may eat with others, and in the course of the meal as we're eating with them, we may say something really dumb and just mess up everything. In the process. In doing things that we're trying to do intentionally for Jesus, in doing things that we're trying to do that are good, if we have not taken the time to actually listen to God, we may find ourselves doing these good things in the wrong way. If we do things, even good things, without first listening intentionally to Jesus and the Holy Spirit, bad things can happen. Listen to what Ellen White wrote in Testimonies, Volume 4. Much careful thought, she said, and fervent prayer are required to know how to approach men and women upon the great subject of truth. Hear what she says. Careful thought and fervent prayer are required to know. That means that in the course of thinking and in the course of praying that God teaches us something. The only way God can teach us something in the course of prayer is if we actually pause to listen. If I'm praying through something and then I say amen and I get up and I never pause to listen, then I have not given room for God to actually teach me in that moment. Jesus was the greatest missionary. Could we agree with that? Jesus was the greatest missionary. And we, could we agree that it is likely that Jesus talked less than us and listened more than us in prayer, in prayer. Bless others, eat with others, but listen in prayer to the Holy Spirit or bad things can and do happen. But what are the, the bad things that, that, that can happen? What are, what are the, the, the pitfalls that, that can happen if we don't listen to the Lord even as we're trying to witness? I see two major potential pitfalls. Now there's some minor things, but, but two major potential pitfalls that can be waiting for those who are going forth as missionaries for Jesus without taking the time to first listen to Jesus and listen to the direction of the Holy Spirit. In our desire, the first pitfall that I see is that in our desire to see people saved, in our desire to want to, to, to bring people in, in our desire to want to get people to, to be a part of this family, in our, in our desire to want people to know the love of Jesus, sometimes we look at some of the things that, that we know that we are to believe as Christians, and we think to ourselves, how can I maybe make it easier for them? And so sometimes in our intention to do good, we end up maybe compromising a little bit 
on the truth side. We know what is right. We know what, what God calls us to, but, but maybe on, on, on some level we, we try to maybe s- smooth out the edges, so to speak, for God. We think we need to smooth out the edges and make things a little bit easier for people so that they won't be too offended. Let me give you one quick example. This conversation actually happened many years ago, early in my ministry, though I've had many like it since that time. And speaking with a mother, I was speaking with a mother one day and she was sharing with me. She said, you know, Pastor, I finally just got to the place where I said, you know what, I'm just gonna let my boys play baseball on the Sabbath. Well, I have known this lady for a long time and I, I asked her, I said, well, why would, you, why would you do this? I mean, do you think that's, that's all right? And she goes, well, I know it's probably not right, but I just got so tired of fighting it and I don't wanna turn them off to God and I don't want to, to turn them off to the church, so I figured a little baseball wouldn't hurt anything. A little baseball wouldn't hurt anything. Now let's affirm what, she, what her desire is, the word that we're right. She has a desire to not turn her children away from God. She has a desire to not turn her children away from the church. But did you hear what she said? She said, I know it's probably not right, but I don't want to turn them off, and so I decided just to let it happen. She did the wrong thing by allowing this compromise, even though she was doing it with the intention of doing the right thing. In our society all the time, we're confronted with things all the time. Can we admit this? We're confronted with things all the time in which we maybe in our core believe is wrong, but we don't want to say anything in that moment because we're not sure how it will be taken. We don't want to be seen as off. That is one pitfall. One pitfall is, is, is in our desire to, to bless others, to, to eat with others, and to bring others in. We may compromise some on the truth. The other pitfall is that is, is on the other extreme. In our desire to see people saved, we will actually find ourselves being very confrontational with our truth and or our opinions and thus turn people off. I remember when I first accepted Jesus and, and in 96 to, to probably for about eight months after that, my friends had basically two emotions in regards to me and my recent conversion. One was either worry like, man, Chad's gone off the deep end. This guy's nuts. And the other was annoyance. Man, Chad is so annoying. I just wish he would be quiet. Well, why was this? Because sometimes they'd come over to my house and they'd say, hey, come downstairs. We're all gonna watch this. And I'd be like, no, I'm gonna read my Bible and all of you should too. Put my head down. It's the way I was. Or I'd be at some event and they'd, they'd all of a sudden I'd, I'd just say, I can't be here anymore. And I'd disappear and I'd get a phone call later at my house. Where are you? Oh, I left. I couldn't be there anymore. I was worried or, or annoyed by me, one or the other. And I'm, I'm pretty sure, folks, that when you're trying to witness for Jesus, the emotion you don't want to evoke in people is worry or annoyance, right? Can we agree with that? Like the people that you're witnessing to are like, I'm either worried about this guy or he's really annoying. That's not the, the winning formula. You may remember my story, and it's worth uh, repeating uh, the time that Christine and I were going out door to door, and we met the nice young couple, the realty couple, and they were excited to meet us, and they, were, they thought it was great that we were going out and praying with people, and, and, and then they were excited that they found out that I was a Seventh-day Adventist and that I was a pastor, and the guy was really excited, and he said, oh, yeah, my pastor, he keeps Sabbath too. Oh, really? Yeah, he keeps Wednesday for the Sabbath. And without any other context, I said 
well, yes, we should all rest, but you know, really, Wednesday's not the Sabbath, and Saturday is the Sabbath, and that basically ended the conversation as we walked away. Christina said, you know, you just blew that, right? And yes, I, I did. You should amen her on that. You should agree. I blew it. But have you read the Gospels? Do you, do you notice something in the Gospel? There's something that I notice in the Gospels that is amazing. Jesus never fell into either of these two pits. Never. He never compromised truth. He never avoided truth. He never hedged on truth. And yet at the same time, he didn't offend people with the way that he approached them. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't uh, push them away by, 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 his, by his words or, or by his, his actions. It's interesting, as I read the Gospels, I see that Jesus was loved by the very people who were condemned by the laws that he wrote with his own finger. As I, as I read the Gospels, I see that, 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 that the words that he spoke through the inspired scriptures and the, and the teachings of the inspired scriptures confronted the very people who loved Jesus the most. It's amazing. Think about it in our modern, put it into our modern context. As I read the Bible, as I read what the Bible teaches us, we can, we can understand it better maybe in our modern context. We can picture and imagine Jesus living here in our modern world. I don't believe that Jesus would endorse relationships outside of, of the traditional relationship that he set up in the Garden of Eden. And yet at the same time, I believe that the LGBT community would be feel more loved and welcomed in his presence than anyone else's. I don't believe that, that Jesus would be ex as accepting of the divorce rate as, as we tend to be, including us within the church. And yet I believe we can see in, in John chapter five, the, the sermon of, or the story of Jesus with the woman at the well, that he may confront this reality and yet divorcees would love him and say, oh man, you gotta come and, and, and meet this, this, this man who knows everything about my life. Well, you know, doesn't, isn't he against divorce? Yeah, but he loves me so much. Jesus wouldn't be okay with those who get richer and richer without giving back and, and simply be okay with it because we call it the American dream. And yet, those people would want to have him come to their house and sit at their table. And then they'd find themselves, when he was there, wanting to share their riches with others. Jesus wouldn't be okay with, with pornography and yet, I believe the, the actors and actresses would be strangely calm in his presence without feeling shame. Christian wouldn't like Hollywood maybe any more than many of the Christian bloggers out there, yet you would never see Jesus getting up on a soapbox haranguing them. Instead, those people would probably be curious about who Jesus was. The list could go on and on. Christine and I were in Texas uh, just recently together, and, and in Texas, uh, God bless Texas, um, and, and they believe it. Um, <laughs> God bless Texas, but, but you know, I've, I've not seen so many billboards, anti-abortion billboards in my life. And while I'm not for abortion, I don't believe that, that Jesus would, that, that someone who's just had an abortion walked out of an abortion clinic, that Jesus would say, you know, the method is, is to put a picture of a dead baby on a billboard to make sure they feel guilty for what they've done. They would, they would be in his presence and, 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 and suddenly feel, feel love. How is it that Jesus 
didn't agree with any of these, uh, with any of these sins, and yet, and yet all those people who are confronted by that would be, feel the most at home and loved in his presence. It's amazing. It's one of the most amazing things about Jesus. By the way, just on a second thought, if any of us ever feel like, man, we're just too far gone, that's the God we serve. That even if we're confronted by our sin as we read his Bible, he's also there just saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. The truth was never compromised, but those struggling with these truths, those challenged by these truths, still wanted to be around Jesus. It's amazing. It's amazing. Listen to this great quote. I read this in the book Christian Service, and I've been just loving the book Christian Service, and I hope you'll, you'll read it. Um, it's actually originally written in the book uh, Gospel Workers, um, uh, uh, page 117, but I read it in Christian Service, page 231. But listen to this. In the work of soul winning, great tact and wisdom are needed. The Savior, listen to what it says, the Savior never suppressed the truth, but he uttered it always in love. In his intercourse with others, he exercised the greatest tact, and he was always kind and thoughtful. He was never rude, never needlessly spoke a severe word, never gave unnecessary pain to, to a sensitive soul. He did not censure, this is amazing, he did not censure human weakness. He fearlessly denounced hypocrisy, unbelief, and iniquity. But, but this is such a great line, too, one of my favorite lines always from the writings of Mrs. White. But tears were in his voice as he uttered his scathing rebukes. Tears were in his voice. You understand the difference of that, right? I mean, we see a movie and we get teary-eyed. Do you guys get teary-eyed sometimes when you see something on, on, on a movie or those commercials, Christina, at Christmas time? What's that, what's that group that does those those? The, 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 the kids thing, I don't know what it is. The kids thing, the, the kids hospital. Christina hears these things and she's, I come into the kitchen and she's listening to the radio and she's got tears in her eyes. I'm like, what's all these commercials at Christmas time they just give me about these kids? And, uh, and, and you know, I, I'm, I find myself teary-eyed all the time now. People say as you get older, you cry more and I'm afraid that by the time I'm like 50, I'm just gonna be a blubbering mess on a, on a regular basis. But, but there's these, there's these, you know, there's things that bring tears to our eyes and get us emotional, but, but we know, right, the difference between tears in our eyes and tears in our voice. You know that difference, right? You've been there when, when, when the emotion is so deep that you cannot even, you can barely get out the words. It's something that, that comes from within you. And, and, the, and, and here, Ms. White tells us that, that when Jesus, when he did rebuke, it was, he did it with tears in his voice, I love this next line too. This is my favorite one in this whole quote. He never made truth cruel. I think of those billboards. When I read that, I thought of those billboards. He never made truth cruel, but ever manifested a deep tenderness for humanity. Every soul was precious in his sight. He bore himself with divine dignity. In other words, he didn't sin. He didn't compromise. He didn't hedge on truth. Yet he bowed with the tenderest compassion and regard to every member of the family of God. He saw in all souls whom it was his mission to save. Never suppressed truth, but never needlessly spoke a severe word. He never made truth cruel. Wow, what an amazing savior we have. How did he do this? I believe he did this, folks, because Jesus based on his own words, said he never said anything that God did not instruct him to speak. He was listening. He was taking the time to intentionally listen to God. He did not speak 
in such a way that would drive others away. He never said anything that God did not instruct him to say. Could it be that in God's all, in Jesus' all-night prayer sessions and half-day prayer sessions and, and multi-hour prayer sessions that he talked less and listened more? Could it be? Could it be? Can I close with one modern example? This year I sent out to all those who gave something through this church, whether tithes or offerings, as a thank you, I gave the book Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire by Jim Cimbala. It's our thank you book for, for 2016. I gave it to about 700 folks, so, I, so if you're one of those individuals, you've read this book already, you'll remember the story. And by the way, this book is all about prayer. The, the book is all about, about prayer and, and being led by prayer and not doing, making any decisions without God's say and without God's God's direction in prayer, and Jim Cimbala talks about how he went from a, from a basketball player at Rhode Island University to, to pastoring a dead church where the deacon was taken off the top every single Sunday to now pastoring the Brooklyn Tabernacle, where I would encourage you, if you go there, don't worry about going on a Sunday. Go on a Tuesday night when they have their prayer meeting and go at five o'clock because you'll see people that you would never expect to see in any church ever there being prayed for by the deacons along the front row. It's one of the most beautiful things that I've seen when I was there visiting. But you may remember the story if you read the book where, where a couple pro- approached Jim Cimbala, Pastor Cimbala, and the lady asked him to pray that God would, would bless their relationship. She said, Pastor Cimbala, will you pray, please pray that God will bless our relationship? And Jim Cimbala said, I, I said a prayer in my mind, and, and, and he said, and, and then I listened, and something in the man's countenance led Pastor Cimbala to ask this question. He said to him, are you married? And the answer was No. And then Jim Cimbala said, well, can I ask, are you living together? And they sheepishly nodded, yes. And then he said to them, and, and what he said to them when I first read it, and when I first heard it, I've read the book now three or four times, but when I first read it, I first had, I, I thought, man, I don't know if I would say that right then, or I don't know if I, I could say that, that right then. But then he said to them, I can't ask God to bless something where he's already made his will clear that he cannot bless. Then he said to the man, sir, you need to move out immediately. And I love this part, by the way. You know, a lot of us like to confront people sometimes on their sin, but Jim Simbola gives us a great example here. He didn't just tell them to move out. He gave them help in that process. He said, we'll give you a place to stay, and then you two can start working on your relationship and prepare for marriage if that's what you believe God wants you to do. But it was a bold, gutsy thing to say. At first, the story goes that the couple seemed a little offended. They tried to make some excuses, but Pastor Assembla just stood there and, 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 and listened and just waited. And eventually they agreed. And the man moved out. They stopped sleeping together outside of marriage, and they worked on their relationship. And eventually they got married, and, and, and similar reports that now they are strong members of the church and active in the church and leaders within their church. How did Pastor Assembla know in this moment how to confront how was it that, that the couple received his rebuke so well? How was it that, 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 that he knew what to say and how to say it in which they wouldn't just turn away and walk out and say, forget this guy? I believe if you read the book, you'll see that it's because throughout his journey, he talks about how he prays, but he doesn't just talk. He listens to the will of God. He not only talks to God, but he listens to God in prayer and then lives based on what he hears 
from God. Bless others, yes. Eat with others, yes. Have both of those be more effective, though, by intentionally listening to God in prayer. Less talk, more listen. Let's all of us try to increase our average of time we spend listening to God in prayer as we move forward. Let us make that our missionary habit for this week and beyond. Let us pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for you setting the perfect example to us. I thank you also, though, for being the greatest missionary who you've confronted many of us in our sin. You've confronted many of us in our struggles, and yet in that confrontation, in that confrontation we've always known it's been done with love and grace and mercy. We thank you that you set the perfect example, that you never compromised truth, but, but you never compromised love either. Thank you for that, Jesus. I pray that you'll speak to each one of us, that you'll call each one of us into being missionaries for you. And may we hear that as we intentionally listen to you in prayer. In your name, amen.